Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Welcome to another exciting episode of SFP Now. Um, with me today is one of my uh, favourite actors from, from television, um, film, theatre. He's also a teacher, a writer, producer. Um, we're talking to the wonderful Philip Granger, um, who also has a Gemini award to his name, which we'll be talking about a little bit later on. Welcome to the show, Philip. It's great having you on. Hey, Ian. It's great to be here, buddy. Well, it's, How it's, are you? It's wonderful to have you. I'm actually talking to Walt. I can't believe it. <laughs> um, I think from 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 what I've read um, and and um, the promo video that I've seen on YouTube for the uh, for the sort of like arts and theatre center and film school that you know center that you work work at, um, you got interested in acting very very early on when you had a chance encounter with a uh, Jack Nicholas. Um, would you, mind, would you mind telling me how, how, how that happened and how that impacted on your life? Well, absolutely. You know, I was, a, I was probably about 10 years old, and um, I had in my life a woman named Mary Cooper, who was my grandmother, and she used to take me to Pantos all the time, which is, you know, this sort of wonderful style of theater that's great to take kids to. In Victoria, which was about... 30 kilometers south of where we were living, which was Maple Bay, British Columbia. And um, so one day, a film being directed by Bob Rafelson, starring Jack Nicholson, rolled into our little town and just took over the streets, the cafes, the marina, you know, uh, every little, little nook and cranny of the main street. We built a sailboat. And um, so I was quite often down at the marina, and um, so as I'd walk by, you know, I'd see all these people milling about. So I would just ask them what they did, you know. And so I'd see a girl that turned out to be from, or a guy who turned out to be from catering. And I'd go, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'll make the food. I'm like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. You know, and then I ran into another person. I said, what do you do? And they go, well, I do the wardrobe. I'm responsible for the clothes, dressing people. I was like, oh, wow, that's kind of cool. Now I see this other guy I go, what do you do? He goes, I'm an actor, kid. <laughs> an actor? They pay you for that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was just looking up at him like, oh, yeah. 
Yeah, just the way he said it. I was like, God, they pay you for that. They pay you for acting, you know? And I was like, after that, I, I kept thinking, my God, they pay you for acting. And here I am, this little kid, and then I really took an interest in what they were doing. And they there's a scene where Jack Nicholson had been drinking all night, and uh, Karen Black had kicked him out or something, and he ends up falling asleep on this dock. And he wakes up all hungry, walks down the dock, and in that boat that's sitting to the left of him is the Lady Camille. It's the boat my family built. We're all sleeping in it as he, they're they're doing a little gorilla filming, and so uh, that got my that got me thinking about it. And uh, and then you know it kind of never left me. I was always had this romantic notion about movies. Uh, my mother started a little cinema, and I remember one of the films that she showed was Born Free about these lions. Love that film. Release of the lions, and what a beautiful film that was. And I was like, God, I want to be part of that. You know what? But here we are in British Columbia, and I was like, I don't know how this is going to happen, but I couldn't stop thinking about it. And then years later, I went to study in the States, and I ended up doing a lot of great theater. And I got I was doing a play called Wormwood, where I was playing Amlin Gray, which was based on August Strindberg. And um, it was a very big, successful play, so I got invited to this Oscar party. So I'm at, I go to the Oscar party with this girl named Lori Butler, who consequently, this is going to sound really good, do you know Miss Physical Fitness from the Van Halen video that jumped up on a table? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was her. <laughs> she was my date. I gotta tell you, I looked. I was a cute kid. Anyway, I didn't know. I didn't know I was. But uh, so we we went on a date together, and we went to this party at a place called Helena's. And you know, Helena was the woman that uh, very famously refuses Jack Nicholson his ham his toast. You know that I'll take a ham sandwich, toasted, hold the ham, hold the cheese. Hold it between your legs. That famous uh, scene from Jack Nicholson was it was her, and they were friends. And he financed this nightclub for her to help her out. And so there was an Oscar party there, and everybody was there. And at the table that I was at, that I was seated at, rolls in Bob Ravelson, Jack Nicholson, Sally Kirkland, and I'm now. As a young adult, sitting with all these wonderful actors and people. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, of course, later on, I had to tell them the story, you know, when I was a little kid, you know. But before that, there was the year of Ironweed in Wall Street. And Jack Nicholson was uh, nominated for Ironweed and and, uh, Michael Douglas was nominated for Wall Street and Michael Douglas won. So here I am at the table, and I see Jack, he's sitting across from me, I see his eyes light up, and he looks across the way, is Michael Douglas, with his wife at the time, Deidre Ento, holding his Oscar, walking into the party, right, walking towards the table. Jack stands up and he goes, hey, Michael, you know who that really belongs to now, don't you? <laughs> Michael Douglas comes over. Puts that Oscar right in front of Jack Nicholson, takes his girl at the time, and goes out to dance. It was like an amazing moment. Then I made a total ass of myself. I was like, you know, when I was a little kid and blah, blah, blah. That's great, kid. That's great. Okay. It's excellent. Okay, great. You know, <laughs> but it was the most amazing night. And then I was like this young kid, and then Sally Kirkland kept leaning over, you know, just a little just a little too close. I was like, oh, my God. And he had this girl. I was like, this is this is crazy. We had an amazing night, and that's pretty much all I can say about the night. 
but it was it was a really great time and uh so um that's my jack nicholson story and uh you know i've been inspired by his work forever you know uh you know some of the work that he had done as a as an actor in his original manner his his uh irreverence for life you know um kind of inspires me still you think of Easy Rider, you think of Chinatown, you think of uh, The Last Detail, these movies, you know. They just don't really make films like that anymore. Uh, unfortunately, we're missing some of the stories. We try, and they try, but, uh, you know, uh, some things, uh, it's just a different different type of movie making. But uh, that the, I, I'm inspired by those, uh, those films for sure. Yeah, I see a lot of movies today in this day and age, and um, I, I sometimes I often wonder, you've got movies that are going on for about two and a half hours, and I often wonder, have you ever heard of editing? <laughs> editing is good. You know, you know what? I did, I did love Itania last year. Um, I, I just thought that was an amazing uh, film, you know, uh, a great story, and uh, I thought that director did, did such a fantastic job. And apparently he didn't have a lot of memes either. You know, and that girl, Margot Robbie, she's something to watch too, right? Yeah, um, I actually remember her when she was uh, working still back in Australia. Um, she was on a show called Neighbours, because we get that here. And um, oh, cool. quite, quite a lot of the Australian actors come through Neighbours and Home and Away before they go to, go to Hollywood. Chris Hemsworth's one of them. You know, he started out on Home and Away. And then went right. to, went to Hollywood, and now now he's far. <laughs> now he now he's home on the way, boy. He's got the boat, the the house, and the Bentley. Yeah. Um. You 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 start you started out your your only acting career. Most of it would have been in the US. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm guessing that there wasn't as much opportunity back then in in Vancouver and. Um, and, and Toronto as there seems to be now, because there seems to be a lot of TV stuff and a lot of production going on in, in Vancouver now. You know, yeah. What, what was it like back then? Was it sort of like main theaters? Basically, they had one show called The Beachcombers, which was uh, about logging in a small town. And um, But there really wasn't a lot of film production being done. There was films like McCabe and Mrs. Miller that would roll in and, uh, you know, these, these great films that would come in at that time uh, for the locations primarily. So they weren't really considering any actors or anything at that time. And um, I think it was Stephen J. Cannell who kind of opened, who kind of frontiered this uh, Vancouver as a viable film center. He did a lot of good to bring, you know, attention to what's possible here. Um, but yeah, back then you you basically, if you wanted to be an actor outside the theater, you really had to go to the United States. And um, and I'm really grateful I did. And oddly enough, I ended up doing a ton of theater in the United States, uh, which was um, which was I think gave me such a strong foundation uh, for my for for film acting. You know, when you do theater, you really have to understand how what the story's about and how to how to sustain it for two hours and and uh, create uh, worlds out of nothing. You know, so uh, yeah, so yeah, I did. You know, I, my first gig in Hollywood was a show called Chips. And I, I'm quite a high school brat, 
in a two-parter called Return of the Brat Patrol, and basically I was the brat, you know, I was a bad kid, you know, like making trouble in this little high school, and then uh, Ponch, you know, played by Eric Estrada, comes rolling in, you know, he's like, I'm going to catch this little bastard, and then they, uh, <laughs> you know, and then they, they set up those, like, sting at the high school, you know? And they eventually catch my, my sorry butt, and then, you know, off to reform school I go. That was my first gig, and then I, I worked with, um, I worked at New World Pictures uh, as well. I don't know if you've got these written down, maybe I'm getting too far ahead of myself. Uh, I, I have got that, that that's sort of kind of going to be in my next question, um, New World Pictures, where you started working with Roger Carman. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing that yeah. might have been where you met your your, uh, your your old friend Bill Patston as well, because I think he worked there too. He, he did. Well, here's how that worked. Um, Bill and I did a movie together called Reckless. Uh, it was a directed by George Maliklovich, who um, was his uh, film director, and they originally filmed it, half of it in Canada. Or they filmed the most of it. Something happened. They didn't like the cast or whatever, some of the cast members. And so they replaced two of the cast members, and they did reshoots in California. And Bill and I ended up getting cast together, you know. And uh, we, I, you know, I just loved him. I was like, who is this guy? You know, like, who the hell is this guy? He's just so enthusiastic about everything. And I was like, I just love this guy, you know. So... We had this scene where um, we were both brand new actors and um, we had this scene where it was a picnic at this picnic table in front of this drive in. And we're supposed to be these rebellious, you know, teen kids. And uh, I remember I had to eat a hot dog in a scene and smoke a cigarette and Bill had to get drunk. Right. So I don't know if I should tell it, but I will because it's kind of funny. So anyway, I uh, being a new actor, you know, I'm getting the hot dogs from the prop guy. You know, I'm eating him, and he comes over and goes, hey, you don't have to eat the whole hot dog. It's okay. You can spit half of it out. I go, it's all right. I got this. You know, Mr. Method, actor, you think I'm Joe Cool, right? So, like, 25 hot dogs later, you know, or 20 hot dogs, I'm starting to get green. Yeah, I'm just like, oh, my God. And smoking a cigarette and eating a hot dog, it's like, take 20, I'm just starting to turn green, right? I'm starting to feel sick. And then... So I'm turning green, and then Bill smuggled in a Mickey, being a young actor, decided to like drink, and he, I, I go, he's jumping up on the table. I was like, "Fuck, that's pretty good drunk, man." You know, <laughs> I'm getting sick. I'm looking at him like, "Yeah, that's pretty good." Next thing you know, I see George Malikovich coming over. He goes, "You little cocksucker! You get drunk on my set again, I'll fucking kill you, you son of a bitch!" <laughs> Uh, Bill was like, oh, man, I'm sorry, you know. It wasn't much. He just had a little tiny Mickey, but he's giving himself a little nip, you know. And here I am getting sick. I ended up vomiting in the bush, you know. But Bill's like, oh, man, I think I'm really fucked up, dude. I think I'm fucked up, man. Yo, shit. <laughs> shit, man, shit. And that was how we connected, right? I'm vomiting in the bush. He's like, oh, shit, man, I'm, I'm fucked up, dude. And I'm like, no, it's okay. Don't worry. We've already filmed two days. They can't cut us up. <laughs> We've established this, man. They cost him a lot of money to get rid of us. We just got to ride this out. You know, and then we became beautiful friends. It turned out that we lived two blocks away from each other. I was on 2nd, just off Main Street in Santa Monica, and Bill was just off the street from me living in a little tiny apartment. We both had he – had, he actually had a one-bedroom 
rent control apartment, and I had a little uh, I had a little studio in Venice. So he was actually I was right on the border of Venice and Santa Monica. Bill was in the rent control area of Santa Monica. He had a golden apartment, and uh, so we used to hang out a lot. And he had made this little film called uh, uh, Fish Hitch, which I gave him a, a hand with. And um, so now Fish Hitch was going to be broadcast on Saturday Night Live, you know. And he's like, so he uh, gets all his friends together. We're over at his apartment. I think the thing that really sealed our friendship was I went down to the pier. And I down to Santa Monica Pier, there's all these guys fishing. I said, can I buy all your fish heads from me? I'll pay, I'll pay you for your, just your fish heads. So these guys hacked off all these heads of these fishes. And then I, I made a plate of hors d'oeuvres with only fish heads, right? Little sticks in them, <laughs> little uh, toothpicks. And I brought it to the party. And it was Gorbachev and Reagan back then, I think. So I, I stuck a Reagan image on one side, Gorbachev on the other, broke a wall down in the middle of it. And I brought it into him. And I think that was it. And we just became the best friends uh, you could possibly imagine. You know, uh, yeah, he was uh, an original. Um, uh, he was kind, generous to to his friends, a f- firm friend, you know, like he'd speak the truth to you, which which is rare, you know. And, uh, and I would speak the truth to him. And, uh, you know, we and here's the really cool part of this story is um, I actually introduced Bill to James Cameron, who later became one of his very best friends. My wow. James Cameron and Bill became very best friends. Um, and uh, Jim, Jim uh, and I, you know, we're all we were all kids and working at New World Pictures. And we were working on a movie called Battle Beyond the Stars being directed by James Murakami, Jimmy Murakami. And uh, it was with uh, Richard Thomas and Sybil Danning and Sybil Thrasher, I think. Ruthless invaders, a defenseless planet. Battle beyond the stars. A lone youth escapes on a last-ditch mission that begins at the edge of the universe. <laughs> a battle beyond time, beyond space. They set fire! That ends in a desperate gamble. They'll be able to board us. It won't make any difference. Get that hatch open! <laughs> battle beyond the stars. Yeah, George Peppard was in it. George Papard showed up drunk every day. It was yeah. amazing. He was so hammered. He'd come out and think, God damn it. I was like, holy shit. Old Hollywood, you know? That that that, that film, um, you know, informed so much of my childhood. It's um, an amazing in, film. In, in terms of, it was it was on pretty much every rainy bank holiday Monday we'd have. We'd, we'd mm-hmm. you know, Battle Beyond the Stars would be on the channel somewhere. <laughs> Incredible film. Incredible People were all we were all there at the same time making that film. So Bob and Dennis Kotek, who won an Oscar, James Horner, Oscar winner, composed the music for that film. James Cameron, when he started, he just he built the ship Nell, the model. When I first met Jim, I was like in the art department. I'm walking through the model department. I, I see this guy 
carving this figure of a woman's body into a spaceship. I was like, what's that? You know, I go over, I go, hey, man, what's that? He goes, it's now. I go, now? He goes, yeah, it's a spaceship. I go, that's pretty cool, man. So, like, it's a woman's body. He goes, yeah. I go, okay. So Jim and I became friends because, you know, I totally got what he was doing. And then we ended up, uh, Jim and I uh, ended up doing like the opening sequence for uh, Escape from New York where they, they uh, uh, where the guards walking across the top of the, the, uh, the guard tower of the prison. Um, Jim painted a matte painting. We went out to the Sepulveda Dam. And I can't remember if it was a Mitchell 35, but some little Mitchell 35. He has me get up on top of the dam. He says, okay, Phil, walk across the dam now. Look down like you're going to shoot somebody, you know? <laughs> and so that opening sequence, when you watch that movie, that was James Cameron's map painting. And, uh, and myself walking across the top of the dam. And it, it worked so beautifully, you know? And then in the helicopter sounds and stuff. And then in Battle Beyond the Stars, you know, all those, we had to pr do practical effects. So I remember one night we're out in the parking lot in, uh, let me tell you, 60 North Venice, where Roger Corman's studio was, was some sort of lumber yard at one point. And, you know, it, it, Roger would come in and go, okay, guys, we're going to build a, a building right there and get no permits. <laughs> we just think that, you know, the art department's building like a studio. Then the, the building place people come like, what the hell is this? You know, to get here. Roger just was a rubble, man. Anyway, so um, Jim uh, says, okay, Phil, we gotta, we gotta, like, we're gonna, we're gonna blow the ship up, right? And so, uh, you know, during that film run, when this, I think the big ship blows up, it's just one big explosion. Mm -hmm. Well, we, we did that. We loaded that thing with like TNT or whatever, put it out in the middle of a parking lot on a cable and this was jim's freaking he loved to do this stuff right and uh put the missile 35 underneath it fired it up so it was high speed it's like you hear the camera go <gasps> start going then he hit the button and boom blew the <laughs> ship up you know and wow. uh it was it was great but um so Jim started as a model maker and then very quickly became assistant art director or then became art director and became production designer, then became second unit director. His ascension was so fast just because the guy is so intelligent about everything, uh, film and was so incredibly ambitious, you know? So, uh, yeah, that's Jim. Jim, uh, was pretty, pretty awesome to work with for, I mean, he was, he was, he was tumultuous for sure, but, I could take it, you know. I I was inspired by his lunacy, you know. And then Bill and I, we worked on that film together. And then he needed a gig. I said, hey, man, come on down. You know, my dad was the art director um, of several Roger Corman films. His name is Philip Granger Thomas. He worked a lot back then. And so that's how I was able to get the job. And then I got Bill a job. And I said, you got to meet this guy, Jim Cameron. He's just, this guy's, I'm telling you, he's going to do something special. There's, I just can feel it. So Bill and him met, and they just hit it off so beautifully. But our first time together, the three of us, Jim had this Pinto. Like, you know what a Pinto, a Ford Pinto? It's, a t it's the shittiest car that Ford ever built. It looks like a Gremlin, AMC Gremlin. But he had this white Ford Pinto. And they don't go very fast. Little four-cylinder. Not very comfortable, not meant to go fast. Bill, Jim, and I, Jim driving, just 
flying down the street. Jim's drifting in this Pinto. And <laughs> Bill and Jim are laughing in the front seat. And I'm just like, God damn it, Jim, slow down. And he's like, shut up. You know, and we're drifting corners and stuff. And I was like, oh, my God. So that was the beginning of something great. Yeah. And, you know, um, at that time, I was doing a lot of theater and Bill was making short films. And, you know, um, and, uh, you know, he was able to that was really smart of him, you know, because uh, for me, I was like, I'd say to a director, well, listen, come on down by, you know, he turned left at the detox center. The theater's in the back, you know. And uh, Bill was able to walk in with his big VHS tapes, and like, "Hey, check my movies out." And uh, so there was a, there was a common common interest between those two because they both had a great love of making films and making movies, and, um, and that grew into a kinship and a bravery together. Like, I can't believe that Bill went down to see the Titanic with Jim, not because they did it together, but that is crazy, you know, like. You're going down a mile underneath the ocean in a little belt and anything could go wrong. To be able to be trusting of your friend to that extent says something about their friendship. And, um, you know, and uh, yeah, so Bill, Jim ended up putting Bill and Terminator. Now I know you're going to go, why didn't Jim cast you? You know, it's funny. Jim did call me once when they were doing Aliens. And he called me from over there and he said, listen, because of British equity, we can only bring so many people over. And Bill had just done weird science and that can bring him over, but I can't bring you over. But I wanted to let you know I tried. And that meant a lot to me because, you know, in this uh, in this business, um, you know, it's it's it, the shoe has to fit and <laughs> the thing and the chips fall where they may. But, um, uh, you know, the, the fact that that those two traveled to the bottom of the ocean together they made some great films together um and more than more than that they had a trusted friendship and you know a person in such position of power like james cameron uh it's very hard to find somebody that will listen to you will speak honestly with you will be there for you whenever you need it and um and bill was that to jim and jim was that to him and uh and for me, I was at for both of them, but mostly Bill, because Bill and I uh, were like brothers. And then, as you know, I was, as I know you're going to bring up Woodland, which was a movie I'd done with uh, the great Richard Harmon from The 100. I did a movie about a guy living, um, a hermit who lives on an island and has a young boy who, who recently lost his girlfriend, has a nasty drug habit, who's come to heal himself. And then throughout the course of the film, you discover that they're both healing themselves for different reasons mine is i lost i lost a young man i lost a young man at sea and watched him die in my arms and he lost a woman because of his his uh his inability to change his habits and um and through the two two misfits are able to come to a common ground and um in one of the scenes there's a hurricane that happens and i have to trust this kid to give me a hand during this hurricane back down the hatches of this cabin we end up going into the shelter underneath it, and, and we have this very, very beautifully intense scene where we both reveal to each other what has been our secret, you know? And it's a very beautiful scene. And just before I'm about to shoot that scene, I get the call about my friend Bill passing away. And, um, yeah, I, and Richard was with me. He looked over at me and said, Bill, what's wrong? And I said, my friend just passed away. And, uh, and then they said, listen, we gotta, we got we to gotta shoot now. And I looked at him. I said, my friend Bill has died. And they said, I'm just going to get through this with you right now. 
And uh, so um, just like, you know, if I'm off a bit, that's what's going on. Well, that was a gift from my beautiful friend Bill, you know, because what that did, it, it kind of created a magic in that scene that wouldn't have been there, you know, or, and that doesn't, I hope that doesn't sound selfish, but what I did was channel that moment of what life means to you, what living means to you, what friendship means to you, what family means to you, what, what um, just getting up and able to breathe and, and know people that love you. That's what that culminated for me, you know. As you know, whenever you lose someone close in your life, those are the lessons they teach you. Mm -hmm. So after um, after finishing that scene, it was our last scene of the movie. It was the last day of shooting. It was the last everything. I uh, got on an airplane. And flew. We were in northern Vancouver Island. I got on the airplane. I landed, and I got on another airplane, and I went to Los Angeles to uh, be with my friend's family and to... Um, you know, just be part of the, just want to, to be there. And, um, and this isn't, you know, so I get off the plane and my friend, uh, Peter Columbus, who you probably know, great actor, owns a home there. And he says, Hey, Phil, I heard what happened. Why don't you go to my house and you can use it and stay down there. Why don't you stay at the house and be comfortable? And, and, uh, you know, while you're down there, I was like, Oh, thank you so much, Peter. And then, um, my other dear, dear, dear friend who I love like a brother is my other brother. His name is Matthew Modine. And, um, so Matthew says, come, you know, call me when you get here. So I, Call him and he says, come over to the house. I go over to the house and sit there and Matthew makes me soup and, and sits and talks. And and, um, and then he says, you're staying here. And I stayed with him and his wife, Ruby, and they, they took care of me as I was there. And then um, so kind of like turned into a, a life experience that made me realize the value of the people and acquaintances we meet in our lives. And that we are we're connected all somehow through our experiences and, um, and that it's important to remind ourselves that we're fortunate to be alive and that we're fortunate to honor our friends. And we're fortunate to have memories. Right. Mm -hmm. So so we went to. The funeral, and it was very small. I was going to talk about Bill a little bit because he was, I know there's a great interest in uh, Bill Paxton's work, but I think they need to know Bill Paxton the person mm -hmm. as well. Absolutely. You know, he had everything, he had everything arranged, you know, he had everything arranged. He, he had his music arranged in case he passed and he, and he had music, uh, he had a poem arranged and his poem and the words were to, uh, to embrace life, to embrace it. And, uh, and so if I can share that with your audience, uh, you know, that is a gift from Bill and all our friends who've made their way to another place. You know, uh, he made a lot of people happy with his work. But not only that, Bill would show up on the set and he would know everybody's name from the ground up. He'd come in, hey, Tom, how you doing? Jessica, how's, how's catering going today? Hey, Billy. What's going on? Frankie, love what you're doing with those cables, you know? Like, he was a special guy. And and, um, and I think, you know, the lesson I guess, I guess I'm trying to share with everybody is that be benevolent, be kind, be gracious, be grateful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's got a son now who's acting. His name's James Paxton. He's out there. He's out blazing the trail himself. And uh, so watch for him. Uh, he's a great kid. And, uh, um, yeah. That was my New World Picture Day. So, yeah, uh, I, was, I was able to work with a lot of beautiful people. 
And, uh, oh, you know Rachel Tolley, who uh, does a lot of... Rachel she, Tanani. She directs Doctor Who and um, a, lot of, a different uh, person. Yes. Well, she was there, too, with Rupert Harvey. And I just actually, uh, I worked with her a couple of years ago uh, on a film called The Farm. And uh, walk in the door, and there she is. She's like, Philip, you know, because well, you know, we were kids, you know, we were young youngsters, and lovely to see. Wow. All right. Um, you know, you've, you've, you've done a lot of work uh, as an actor and played many characters, but one, one character that really st- stands out for me, um, based on cause it's probably the first living memory that I remember seeing you, because um, I, I know you a bit more from TV work, was, um, was a character of Walt in the show called Neon Rider. Sorry, uh, she's using dirty needles, so... How long you had that cough? What cough? So I got a cold. You guys are worse than Amanda. We're just looking out for your health, man. That's what Amanda would say, except she'd say health, Pen. Health. Health. How's your T-cell count? Jeez, again with the T-cell count? Walter, you have HIV, man. Right, Pen. I gotta try to remember that. HIV. 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 I forgot. Smack him for me, will you? Uh, how did you become involved with that show? And, and looking back, what was it about Walt that, that you really enjoyed playing? Well, you know, I had to audition for that show um, a couple of times. I was originally, they they were interested in me um, for a couple of characters. Remember Jim Burns? Uh, I can't remember the name of his character. He was our boss. Uh, originally, they, they looked at me for that character, and then they brought me in to read for Walt, and... Uh, and then I walked in the room, and Winston Record, who was one, and Danny Virtue were the creators of this show. I didn't know where I knew Winston from. I, I, I had no idea, but I had kind of a, I guess I'd seen him a lot on television, but I knew there was, we just connected. It was like we connected instantly. And, um, and so it was only supposed to be two episodes. And, uh, um, but I read the script. And I looked at this character, and I, I really loved the character because of his, uh, uh, his sense of purpose. You know, um, he'd, he'd obviously been an alcoholic or uh, had um, problems uh, with his own personal, and he decided to change it all around and be a servant of the streets to try to help other people overcome their obstacles. And that was his overall uh, thing. And, um, and so uh, there was an integrity about him, about this character, and about the work that they did. And I like the idea of shining light on the common man, mm-hmm. the guy that nobody hears about, that, that is out in the forefront doing something great every day for others. Uh, you know, we don't celebrate them enough. To me, and I think you know uh, the the most difficult kind of work that these people do, um, and uh, and when you find an individual that does it with full heart, you know, like it's it's like he's not doing it for any other reason than to help people. And you know, we've all met those. We've all met them. We've all met them in our lives. I mean, some people just punch the clock, and they're in there punching the clock till they mm-hmm. die. Yep. And then there's the guys that, like, you know, I'm going to make a difference. Even in this tiniest little way, I'm going to make a difference. And that's what I liked about Walt. And then later on, 
they um, decided to keep my character, you know, and expand upon it. Um, they decided to um, uh, give this character HIV. And I, I love the opportunity of that because, um, you know, he was stabbed by a kid in the face with a hypodermic needle by a kid he was trying to help. And what was nice about that was that here's a character who's HIV positive, who's not promiscuous, he's not a drug user, and he's not gay. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he breaks all conventions about the stereotype of what uh, is a person that affected with HIV. And he became now a human being with HIV who was sick, who was getting sicker, and, and dealing with all the foibles that come with that. The you know when when you're faced with your mortality, how you react to that, and I also liked that the the writer Brad Wright and Carl Binder, both incredible writers by the way. Brad Wright is responsible for Stargate mm-hmm. and also Travelers. He's the exec producer and wrote those, and he was a head writer on Neon Rider who wrote that episode. And Carl Binder wrote Pocahontas, and he, he uh, he's written, he, I think he's a writer on Travelers, uh, Outer Limits. Anyway, incredible talents, incredibly talented people. I was lucky to be there with them, and they wrote really well for my character. Um, but I, I like that idea. I like I like the idea that, that uh, you know, put a human face on it a little bit, you know, and... Um, and so, yeah, that's that's why I love that character. I think the writing was great. It's still on the air. People still enjoy it. And that's a great testament because it was made quite a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I mean, some of the technology has aged, but the story has not aged, the uh, content. It's, yeah. it's still very much relevant today. I mean, at the time yeah. it was on, at the time I seen it, um, it didn't really hit this part of the U.K., until around about 1994, when, when, once the show had actually ended, you know, yeah. stopped being made. And yes. at the time I was in drama, I was actually studying drama, I was actually uh, going to college and studying drama, and uh, and we we basically just, you know, we had cable, and a new cable channel would come on, on the air called The Family Channel, and it was aired on that channel. And cool. I, I just took to the show right away, because I, I just liked how it, told the story of people yeah it's basically people uh stories um about people in very difficult situations being helped out of very difficult situations and mm-hmm. and you know going going from being sort of like damaged people to sort of people that are actually sort of like being sort of like healed as it was standing um, on their feet yeah standing, standing on, their feet. on their feet yeah and yeah Thank you, and and that's what that's what I loved about it. And I also an aspect that I also enjoyed was uh, the friendship that Walt had with Pin, um, and, yeah. and of course Kevin at the eleven seventeen, which is was a character that Jim Burns played. Um, yes, another favorite actor of mine. Um, and 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 those old on screen friendships you guys had felt very real to me as a viewer. And I'm kind of wondering um, if it was the same off screen too. Absolutely. Was, we're very good friends. Everyone in that cast are, are very good friends. You know, um, we, uh, you know, it's that rare collection, you know, that's why things work. I think it's important that the chemistry of all the individuals working together in any show that you love and know, there is that. There is that kinship, you know. Um, it can be very intense making films, and uh, what I mean is workload. You know, we're very fortunate to do it, but it can be intense because sometimes you run out of light, sometimes you run out of time, sometimes you know you get rewrites in the morning, 
and you know, and you have to deliver it in an hour or whatever. Uh, but it's always great to know that the people that you're working with have you back. And, and we all we all had a singular vision, and that was that was really led by Winston Rucker and Danny Virtue, who had this idea that through uh, this form of entertainment, that, that maybe they could they could um, have someone recognize a habit or something that is going on in their own personal life, and maybe like turn the page, you know. So we kind of ha- we all had that idea in our minds when we were making this uh, show for sure and uh, so yeah Peter is like one of my dearest friends and, and Jim Burns as well uh, great guys we don't see each other enough I mean uh, Peter lives in Toronto and sometimes in Aruba now and and uh, Jim's always out doing music so yeah um, that was Neon Rider Neon Rider was a very special show and it kind of launched things for me as well mm-hmm. you know like uh, I was able to um, you know, kind of my acting was was kind of admired a little bit on that. So it helped me, uh, it opened some doors for, for me, for sure. I was grateful for that. And one thing I was actually quite shocked about was um, with, with Neon Rider is um, I just got to wonder if it was ever discussed about maybe doing a spin-off about Bowdying Evan 17 and the work that your character and Pin was doing. Because I would have liked to have seen more focus on that, you know, Danny Virtue, uh, oddly enough, has always talked about that, and there they, there is dis- there is t- talk about that currently. Um, that uh, they're they're going to they would like to do that, and um, they they want to up- upgrade a little bit, you know, to the contemporary problems that are currently happening, the opioid and all the other things that just make it maybe a little bit uh, grittier. But there is discussion. Uh, Danny's been been uh, wanting to do that for a while, and I know last year or last not too long ago for like i'm not exactly sure but they were discussing it with the with the network so yeah it'd be great i agree that'd be an awesome uh, awesome show to have too 1117 was a pretty special little place mm-hmm. for anyone who knows it yeah yeah and i just i just love that dynamic of, of of you three characters and um you know kevin was kind of like your sponsor who sort of like pulled pulled world up and yeah. that with the alchemism and and your friendship with Pin, he was always yeah. he was always lending money off Pin. I thought that was just it was just fun, and it was just Thanks, good, good show to watch. I'm glad you won't. I'm glad you got to see it. Now it does it's interesting because you know you forget that it airs in other countries around the world, right? Yeah, you do. You, you yeah, do. It's, it's funny. I, I met a guy named Wolfgang Kruner in in Belize, and uh, he comes over to me. He says. My name's Wolfgang Kleiner, and I do your voice in Germany. And that was like he was—he was Walt's voice in Germany, and his voice was very deep, you know. <laughs> like like this, his voice was. I said, "Man, I got a sexy voice in Germany, man." Jeez, he's like, but it was so cool. We ended up uh, there was a little pool table there, so we ended up. He taught me how to play this game that they play in Germany, this pool game. And then we had a great time. But that was really, really cool. You know, like, I'm Wolfgang Krone, I do your voice in Germany. It was very, very cool. Yeah. So that was uh, that was Neon Rider, the beautiful show. Mm-hmm. A brilliant show. And you know, it's a shame there's not more shows and films like it that are made, um, as you said. Um, as well as the acting and directing and writing you do, you, you also teach acting and performance. Um, how do you get involved in, in doing that? You know, cause it's sort of like... Uh, it's not many, many actors that go into the business and end up, so like, you know, setting up, you know, colleges and, and, and work, working in colleges and giving, giving back. Um, 
So I'm just wondering how that came about for you. No, it's pretty much, that's pretty much it. You know, um, I trained with some great teachers, Stella Adler being one of them. And, and uh, she said, you have a responsibility to pass this, this knowledge on. Um, and uh, I was asked to originally uh, teach at New Image College in Vancouver. And, um, and so I was doing, I would, would teach different disciplines. I would teach, you know, movement voice and speech or text analysis or scene study or film, uh, you know, on camera acting. Um, and uh, about, you know, I was asked to if I would consider overseeing the program. And uh, I, I just thought it was a great opportunity to share with young people the values that, that myself and our teachers in this uh, school has, which is we have a we have a responsibility to try to do good work and to try to do uh, things that are uh, important, you know. Uh, without artists, or without uh, theater, without, um, you know, uh, they are speaking out against injustice in society, we'd be a pretty big mess. Mm -hmm. So um, so that was it, and I really enjoy it. I uh, have some wonderful actors I've trained. Uh, Jared Joseph on The 100 is one of our students. Mary Galloway, who was just named the uh, Hollywood 2018 Hollywood Reporter Top Rising Star of... Uh, 15 Canadian actresses is one of ours. She also won the Kevin Spacey Artist of Choice in 2016. So we have this, uh, you have the, we have this amazing program here. Um, uh, we are a project-based school. It's very important. So every actor that comes through the door from the first day they come, they start acting. There's no one sitting. Uh, we do theater. They do plays. They make films. They're constantly acting. It's the only way to learn how to do this. So, um, and so, and by projects, I mean, uh, we produce theater and we produce films that are, that are, have our students in them. And that's where you really learn because that's where the pressure is, right? That's where mm -hmm. the pressure is for the actor. And then at the end, um, we not only train them uh, in acting, we also uh, give them a great understanding of how the business works and then their final module we have three weeks of uh casting directors and agents that come in every day to see them and most of them get set up you know uh and get their agents and get their careers going but most mostly um they have incredible technique they have incredible uh knowledge of themselves and um and uh you know that to me is very gratifying and also you know the other thing the other arrangement that i have is that uh I, I am able to go out and star in, in movies and TV shows and still uh, oversee things at the college, which is very important. I feel it's, that it's essential if you are to teach or something, uh, you should have a, a, a knowledge of it uh, by, by uh, a current knowledge, like what's happening now. So all the teachers that work for me are for our college are all working actors like they're on iZombie, Supergirl, you know, uh, you know, lots of lots of different movies and, and myself included. So that's that's the thing is like I'm able to um, mentor these young kids and um, and send them out the world and, and as better people, uh, firstly, as better uh, with with uh, sort of um, a clear vision and technique what they need to be successful. And then an alumni that's incredibly successful preceding them, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's cool. It's really cool. And um, it keeps your mind going, too, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a shame there's not more places like it. I mean, you could do a few places like that in England, in, in different cities, and, um, and the rest of the world, for that matter. 
you know. Well, we've been asked to. We've been asked. Uh, New Orleans College has been asked to open a school in Mexico City. So we are. Uh, they're they're currently do it because you're right. Um, uh, the here's the beautiful thing about our school. Nobody mops the floor during the play. They all mop the floor during the play. Mm-hmm. They're all on stage. They're all acting. No one is understudying. Every person has a role in every play that we do. And no matter, we make sure that they understand the ensemble is the strength of the ensemble is the thing. So we have this culture of helping each other become stronger as actors and performers. And then it's the same goes with, with the films. No one, everybody has a great role in the film and we create those films for them. And that's where you really get to learn. And so, and all our other courses, when they're acting in front of the camera, they get to fail a bunch so that when they get to the project, they're clear and ready to go. It's amazing. Mm. It's amazing. I'll send you one of the films to take a look at. But uh, that's our school, and that's why I do it. And um, I, I, it's very gratifying to do it. And again, it's a perfect balance because, you know, actors work or they, or they don't work. And I'm not very good at just sitting around. So I, I, uh, Go do a movie, you know, or, or series. I did that series last year, Ghost Wars, which was uh, nine episodes. And uh, it still run this place. It's pretty awesome, right? I've only seen the first episode. I'm, I'm yet to catch up on Ghost Wars. Hallucinations, apparitions. Call it what you will. It can change a town forever. They're blaming me for what's going on. You're special. Only one who can see them. They're stuck here. They're angry, and they blame us. You have to go down! You're going to love episode 12. He's going to tell you. Yeah, when I've, you get to episode 12, you're going to love it. Get oh, ready to have a good laugh. The, the, My character's pretty funny in that show. Oh, right. Winston gets... He catches on around episode five, and then you know, and then he he's like, Winston is a he's he's a, he's a character who thinks he's got all the power in the town. Mm-hmm. He believes he's the mayor, but he has no power, right? He just <laughs> he just thinks he's the mayor, you know. He's always trying to fix things, but he has no power to do it. So it's quite funny, right? Yeah, I've actually met people like that. <laughs> I know, me too. I know they're the funniest. They're like they're. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, I actually love playing those people, you know, because they're uh, they're they're so misguided, but their hearts there, you know. Like, and Winston's that, you know. But mm-hmm. but he'll steal from the bar, thinking it's okay, you know. Like, wait till you see him. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you. Mm-hmm. I'd be curious to see what you have to say about Ghost Wars. You know, it's a very different kind of program. Very mm-hmm. very adventurous for sure, and. Um, uh, Simon Barry, as you know from Continuum, is the show creator, and they have another amazing showrunner named Dennis Heaton, who has a new mm-hmm. show called The Order coming out, which I I have great uh, expectations of. You know, both both amazing people, and then you know Vincent D'Onofrio in the cast, Kim Coates from Sons of Anarchy. Uh, you know, uh, 
uh, Sonia Bennett, um, you know, uh, Jesse Moss from Tucker and Dale versus Evil, one of my favorite movies. I, I watched that this afternoon, actually, for the first time. Did you? I, I really loved it. Yeah, I thought it was brilliant. Isn't that a great film? It, it had, a, had a bit of everything. It was kind of like a, an 80s horror throwback with a twist. <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah, where, exactly. where, where, where the teenage where one of the teenagers was evil. <laughs> one of the teenagers, I know, and that's Jesse, by the way. That's okay. Jesse Moss. Jesse Moss is the evil teenager, and he's such a wonderful actor. And uh, we were really, really uh, happy to see each other again and uh, to um, have a, a relationship on Ghost Wars as the characters that we play. We we actually have a pretty tight uh, relationship in the show and uh yeah and then do you know sharon taylor have you have you run across sharon taylor's work um i'm afraid i'm afraid probably not look her up that girl is is, is amazing right mm-hmm. and uh do you know Kristen lehman she's on altered carbon and she was a motive um, uh she plays miriam bancroft in altered carbon She's also in Ghost Wars. As an actor, um, what what kind of projects um, do you feel the most drawn to? Do you feel most drawn to the fun projects, or do you feel more drawn to sort of like more the more socially um, aware sort of projects? You know, like Neon Rider and and and, and other stuff like that that you've done. Uh, you know, um, each part has its challenge, right? And each film has its challenge. I try to find quality material. It doesn't matter if it's, uh, you know, um, whether it's funny, like Tucker and Dale versus Evil, which is just a brilliant concept and script. And and uh, um, but then I did a film called Juggernaut last year, which was uh, about the coming of age of a young boy who'd been abused and and uh, realized that. It appeared his mother had been murdered and not didn't die of a suicide, and, and him trying to uncover it. And and because he was a bad kid as a child, uh, and he was also neglected by his father as a child, no one believes him. You know, no one believes this kid. And um, I like that story because I played the sheriff in the town, and I kind of was open to believing the kid. I, I wouldn't just shut him down because he was a bad kid, because underneath that, was a good kid in there, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I like that type of story as well. But you know, you look for you look for a beautiful script first, and then you you meet with the directors and you decide whether um, whether you have the same if you, whether you can serve their story, whether I'm able to contribute to their vision, and will that work? And then um, once it becomes that collaboration, it, it becomes uh, its own thing. Each one has its own power, its own entity, you know. So uh, I, I look for the opportunity to collaborate with people and to try to make whatever it is they're doing better. And, and that's, in a way, giving, right? Yeah. Um, I've always looked at acting that way. I don't believe in, you know, uh, the, the whole star thing is what it is. But we're all kind of equal out there, you know, like on in film right we're all just trying to tell a story right do good work right and that's the same with uh you know the plumber down the street you know he's he goes in there he's like you know your your drain's broken you know give me the give me the the you know give me the pipe wrench and you know he's just fixing the pipes that's what he's doing and that's that's kind of our job you know we it's just you you got a job to do and you go in and do the best you can 
just like any tradesperson or anybody, uh, you know, that has a, a thing that they love to do, you go in and do your best with it. And that has its gratification. But I, I look for scripts. That's that's the key, you know, or idea. And you try, you pray for the best. Sometimes you get a brilliant script and it turns out to be a crappy movie. And then other times you get a, a script that's not so great and the director makes it a great movie. So, but st- starting with the story, I think is most important. Does that help you? Yeah, that that, that does. I mean, it's something I could. I was just interested in what your what your take was really on on on, on the, the sort of projects that. That you find you'd find most attractive, um, and a film project that you that you've just that you finished on it's in it's in post production right now. It's a science fiction story called AMI. Uh, yeah, deals with the subjects of artificial intelligence. Uh, how, how did you become involved with that, and what can you tell us about that film? What what what? Well, you know what? Um, I I met the filmmakers. Uh, I I met them about four years ago, and. Uh, they um, basically we we run into each other. I ran into him in LA one day, and then, and then here in Vancouver. And then one day I just got a phone call uh, saying from the producer James Clayton saying, uh, "Rusty and I would like to meet with you about this film we're going to do." And um, and so they sent me the script. I read it. And I was like, "This is a really smart little movie." Uh, because the the telephone takes on the personality of the mother of the mother just passed away and this young girl's sort of become in its control so like people on their phones you know they just it becomes way too important to them you know and uh so it's that kind of idea and so uh and they we met and um i i enjoyed uh the script and, and it was a great uh, different kind of opportunity for me acting wise as well it was a different op- different thing for me to do and then um and then i so admired these two young filmmakers trying to make a go of it it reminded me of us when we were that age i was like sign me up you know i'm in and uh, that's what what happened and it was a really fun fun movie to make cool. yeah and i think it's going to be a great little film it's uh it's a smaller film with really smart and beautiful actors in it and uh and the director rusty uh is uh, a very passionate um a person but but big-hearted too so and uh, he wrote it as well, so you know I've we have high hopes for that. And so the, the same team made a movie called American Mary. I don't know if you know that film, but uh, the producing team made that film, so they're behind it as well. And so we're hopeful. Yeah, I've seen that American Mary pop up on my Amazon. Um, yeah. and, you know, I've got I've got a huge film connection and TV connection on my Amazon on my Amazon Prime account. You know, I just yeah. buy movies. <laughs> just, I just thought like I'm, I'm a bit of a movie nut, to be honest. Um, oh, that's nice. But I, I, love, I love small small movies as well as the bigger ones as well. So it's yeah. kind of like I, I try to mix and match a lot of things. And and, and I think the thing that draws me in, it's when, when it's a good story, when we've got likeable and relatable characters, you know, even when you like the villains and you can relate something with, with regard to the villains as well. In, in yeah. films, it's, um, you know that, that those sort of things are really important to me as a as a, as a viewer. And um, when when I was reading, when I was studying theatre and reading scripts as well, uh, I had to be able to relate to the different characters and, and stuff like that in order to be able to sell, you know, nice. characters that I was playing. Um, and, and you know, another, another film that you've uh, you've just started working on is the Great Buddha Arrival. Uh, yeah. 
which looks like it's going to be a, a, a fun monster movie of sorts. Uh, yeah, it's gonna. I think it's gonna be fantastic, man. Mm. It's like, yeah, I, that I I think that's gonna be a pretty big movie next year. Feels like it, and such a great idea. And it's based on a film that was made in 1934. It was like the first science fiction film ever made, um, and they've uh, they've taken that the the idea of that film and. Uh, and they've made it, they modernized it. And yeah, so that's going to be fun. I think so. Yeah. And Japanese, you know, they're amazing too. Japanese filmmakers are pretty cool. Um, so um, is it, is it going to be Sonic similar to the Pacific Rim movies, that sort of thing? Well, I think that's the hope for it, yeah. I, I think that's the, that's the idea. You never know. Um, I, you know, you don't know uh, what the effects are going to be like, but that's certainly the goal. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I just saw, I seen the uh, a couple of photos you posted on your Facebook page and um, yeah. stuff like that, and um, I thought, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be cool for sure. Yeah. It's going to definitely be cool. Yeah, is, that one's fun for is, sure. Is there anything that I that I've not covered that you're working on now that you'd like to talk about? Um, uh, let's see. Oh, I just did a film with a, a British filmmaker named Mark Heisenberg called Best Laid Schemes with a fantastic actor named Dan Payne and um, uh, actress named Jill T. Do you know from X- X-Men? And I, It's a full comedy. I'm the lead of the film and uh, we just finished filming it two weeks ago and um, I'm excited about it. Uh, it's kind of like that old, it's kind of like Abbott Costello, you know? A couple of misfits decide to rob the mob and it doesn't go too well for them. And I, I'm the I'm the lead character who's running the whole thing. And uh, think of a Kentucky Fried Chicken sales uh, manager robbing the mob, and you got the idea. <laughs> that sounds great. Um, it's gonna be a it's funny. And and Dan Payne, you know him. He's in the Descendants, and and uh, he's like he's like six six. Wow. Right. And I'm always chewing him out. You know, he's this giant guy standing beside me, right? And it's just funny. It's just funny. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's the thing I've just finished. And, uh, yeah, and then, um, please, if you could share with your audience to watch Ghost Wars, that'd be fantastic. I know Simon Barry and, and the, the writing team and the production the production team really put their heart into that series and be great for people to, to recognize their efforts yeah well i will do um and i'll be sure to mention that it's actually on netflix here in the uk um at the moment they've got the entire series um but philip i've really enjoyed hearing your stories um yeah thank you so much it's been great speaking to you you too cheers mate thank you bye yeah bye come on close Hi, this is Jeff Nimoy, and you're listening to SFP Now on Sci-Fi Pulse Radio. And that about wraps up our uh, interview with the wonderful Philip Granger. And wow, what what a guy. What what stories. Um Hope you enjoyed that, and uh, we'll be back at you again with uh, more exciting interviews and science fiction discussion. Bye for now.